0: You are listening to Episode 6 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 10. A Wing and a Prayer. Frank knocked on the door. You ladies okay in there? Tanith opened to look up at him. So far, so good. But do you think they're gone? Frank shook his head. I doubt it. They rode off making a lot of noise, but it died out awfully fast. That one guy was counting houses and kept looking to see who else was around. Tanith sighed. That's what I thought, too. She pointed to the men heading back to the quarry. Why are they leaving? Frank scrubbed the back of his neck with one hand. Because they don't believe there's any danger, and William's not here to tell them to stop work for the day. What? Tenneth was shocked. Frank just shrugged. Amber roused herself and climbed the short steps out of the door. Let me try to talk to them. She scampered across the grass and shouted to get the men's attention. They stopped and waited for her to catch up. They talked for a very short time, but the foreman, a burly man who was leading the crew, just shrugged and pointed at the sun with his thumb. They don't think there's a problem, do they? Tanneth spoke quietly, but Frank heard her well enough. Amber waved her hands in the direction of the pike, and Tanneth could hear her voice, even if she couldn't make out the words. They didn't see it, so they don't know. It's the first time we've had this kind of problem here, so I don't know that I blame them. She looked up at him. You do think they'll be back, don't you? Yes, Mum, I truly do. So what do we do? Frank scrubbed the back of his neck again. Well, the plan was for the women and children to take to the woods and hide. Ain't nothing in the houses or barns worth losing a person over. How long do you think before they come back? Frank turned to look at the pike and then glanced up at the sun. I'd give them about an hour to let things calm down here, and then they'll come back fast. You think they'll knock on the front door next time? Frank shook his head. Depends on what they think is here. Most of the quarrymen looked on in amusement as Amber continued her argument with Jakey. Jakey, for his part, merely stood his ground and shook his head, a truculent frown on his face. Do they know about the team, do you think? Frank sighed. If they don't, they'll find it as soon as they look in the barn. What else is valuable here? Food, tools, shelter. Frank ticked them off. This would make a handy bandit camp. Rather exposed for a bandit camp, isn't it? "'Depends on where they do their banditin.' Frank paused, but probably so. Amber lost her argument with the quarrymen, and Jakey waved his crew back up the trail toward the quarry. Frank spit neatly in the grass beside the house. Amber came back to the house, fury written on her face in scarlet hues. "'They said we should all just calm down "'and stop seeing boogeymen under the beds.' She turned to Frank. "'Can you get the horses and take them up to the quarry? "'I'll round up whosoever's left down here, "'and we'll go up there, too.' If they follow us up there, then at least those lunkheads won't be able to argue about the threat. Frank nodded and headed for the barn at a brisk walk. Amber turned to Tanith. Can you help me gather everybody up, Mum? You knock on the doors on that side. I'll get these. Have everybody meet at the lane to the quarry, and we'll scoot. Tanith nodded and started around. There weren't that many houses, and in a matter of a few minutes, the women and children were headed up the path, following Frank and the horses. Tanith and Amber stood at the end of the lane, watching a small party heading up into the woods. Amber counted them off as they went. That's all of them, she spoke quietly, except for Thomas and William. Neither woman speculated on where the two men might be. Thomas was off in the forest somewhere, tending his snares and hunting small game to augment the village larder. They both knew that William was likely back in the forest somewhere, chopping wood. Neither of them wanted to think too much about that. As the noise of the women and children receded into the forest, Amber turned to Tanith. Do you remember the other morning, Mum? You said a prayer to the All-Mother. She spoke softly, tentatively. Tanith looked at her curiously. Yes, I remember. Do you think you could say one now, asking for her protection here? Tanith cocked her head to one side. Do you really think it'll help? There was a gentleness in her voice. Amber sighed with a shrug. I don't know, Mum." but it can't hurt. The pleading in her eyes was more than Tanith could bear. I'm not a witch, my dear. I have no special powers, you know. Answers might be, Mom, but there was something in the air the other morning. Maybe it was just a storm coming, but maybe there's something out there listening, and it heard you. I'm not too proud to ask for help right now. Tanith smiled. Me either. She nodded up the trail. Go up there a ways and give me room to think. Amber scampered a few yards up the trail and took shelter on the verge, leaving Tanith standing in the path where it emptied into the back of the village. Tanith planted the heel of her staff and leaned on it. She closed her eyes to focus on the area around her, the earth, the sky, the fire, the sun, and the water cursing in the hidden rivers in the ground. A sense of calm filled her, and the strength of the earth itself seemed to flow up the length of her body, through the soles of her boots, and along the path of her staff. She opened her eyes and raised her arms as she had the day before, facing the north as she started with the earth. I call upon the guardian of the north, keeper of the earth, bones of the world, to guard this passage against those who wish us harm and ask that they do not pass. She turned face out over the village, arms outraised and the heat of her belly pulsed in time with her heart. I call upon the guardian of the east, keeper of the air, breath of the world, to guard this passage against those who wish us harm and ask that they do not pass. She turned to face the woods to the south. I call upon the guardian of the south, keeper of the fire, life of the world, to guard this passage against those who wish us harm, and ask that they do not pass. With each repetition, a tautness gripped the air, and while her voice was no louder, it seemed to echo in her body and in the air around her. She turned to the west, looking up the path, and repeated one last time. I call upon the Guardian of the West, Keeper of Water, Blood of the World, to guard this passage against those who would do us harm and ask that they do not pass. She completed the circle by facing north once more. I ask in the name of the All-Mother. I ask in the name of the All-Father. Guard us from our enemies. They will not pass. She stabbed her staff into the ground and leaned on it as the emotions washed through her and left her weakened and all but panting in exertion. Very pretty, Mum. Very pretty indeed. The man's voice came from the direction of the village and the leader stepped around the corner of the nearest hut. He clapped his gloved hands in mocking applause. "'But do you really think your earthy mumbo-jumbo "'will have any sway over us?' He held his hands out in a practiced gesture, and the three bully boys followed him out into the clearing at the end of the path. Tanith whirled at the sound of his voice and stood there, praying that Amber had the sense to run. The world around her took on an unnatural clarity, and somewhere inside her the anger welled up. There is nothing for you here. She said it quietly, but the words echoed in her and fairly crackled in the air around her. Ah, but there you're wrong, mother, for there surely is a garden to be plowed and seeds to be planted. He leered with the suggestive roll of his hips, and his men chuckled at his not-so-veiled threats. No. The word snapped in the air, a blow to the heart, a stone in his path. The leader laughed easily and motioned one of the thugs forward. He crossed his arms on his chest and lounged comfortably against the logs of the hut as if it were the wall of his favorite tavern. Don't be foolish, Mum. Surely you don't think one small woman can stop even one of my men? The anger and pain of losing her son, the anger and pain and betrayal of having her husband beat and humiliate her for years before she escaped and dedicated her life to the road, the anger and pain inflicted by all the men who'd accosted her, badged her, and assaulted her on that road, all that anger and pain rose in her and flared up at that one moment. She focused on the approaching bravo and spit at him. No. He chuckled indulgently, and in what he might have thought was a subtle move, lunged for her, arms outstretched as if to sweep her up in a bear hug. Tana stepped into the attack, pivoting her staff downward with the iron-bound heel grounded in the soil. The gnarled knot at the top speared the man in his chest with a meaty thump, his momentum doing the work and the force of his attack rebounding on him. He knocked himself backwards and landed flat on his back at her feet with a surprised grunt. His face turned red as he tried to pull air back into his bruised lungs. No. She said it quietly, but still it echoed in the air, even over the downed man's wheezing grunts for breath. The leader's face mottled in his rage. You bitch! He motioned his remaining two companions forward. Take her! I want her alive for now! His eyes fairly bulged in his head from his pent-up anger and frustration. Nobody makes a fool of me, particularly not a feeble old lady with a stick. The two men drew swords and spread out to give each other room to swing. Their faces held murder and worse, but Tana scowled at them. No. Once more her voice carried to the forest and seemed to echo among the bowls of the trees. The two boyos glanced at each other and chuckled uneasily, but moved in smoothly and slowly, separating even more as they cautiously approached the woman in their path. No. She hissed the word with every fiber of her being. "'Oh, come now, Mum,' the one on her left spoke gently as if to a spooked horse. "'You don't want to hurt us, and we sure don't want to hurt you. "'Why don't you just put down the stick, and we'll all go talk to the boss, nice and calm-like, yeah?' Tanith glared. "'No!' The word lashed out at the two men, even as they lunged forward together, clubbing at her with the flats of their swords." She dodged quickly backwards and swung the foot of her staff in a short, vicious arc with a chopping upward motion. The man on the left dodged what he believed was a blow to his face, but the iron caught him where his fingers wrapped his sword's hilt. The blade flew from his hand as two of his fingers shattered, and the reversing blow swung the knobbed end of the staff into his face, mashing his nose. He screamed in pain and dropped to his knees beside the first man, cradling his injured hand to his chest while blood streamed down his face and onto his tunic. The sudden movements and the sword spinning through the air made the second attacker flinch backward, his attack halted by the unexpected response. The leader growled at them. For God's sake, Mort, it's one old woman. What are you? A sound like a hummingbird snaked over Tanith, and a flash caught her eye even as the man's voice chopped off in mid-sentence at the sound of a heavy, wooden thunk. Tanneth spared a glance at the leader and saw him staring at the shaft of an arrow sunk into the wood of the hut less than a hand's breadth from his head. It still quivered from the force of its flight. Behind her, Tanneth heard Thomas's quiet voice. No. The remaining attacker looked over Tanneth's shoulder and lowered his sword, arms outstretched in a gesture of surrender as he slowly backed away. Tanneth glanced over her shoulder to see Thomas standing in the path, bow drawn to his ear, wicked edges of a hunting broadhead gleaming in the afternoon sun. She turned back to face the attackers. No. She said it quietly this time, but the word was final, inevitable as the rumble of thunder that follows lightning's flash. The leader's face had drained of color as he realized how close to death he stood. He turned to glare at them. Mort, Josh, get up. Let's get out of here. He growled the words even as he backed around the corner of the hut, putting the heavy protection of the wood between the bowman and himself. The two injured men scrambled backwards, eventually getting to their feet and backing away, the one uninjured one nervously covering their retreat and obviously anxious to move out. They all disappeared around the corner of the hut, and in a moment the sounds of horses trotting away came from the direction of the pike. Only when the sounds had echoed away into the distance, the quiet susurration of wind in the trees filling the air, did Tanith relax her vigilant stance and ground her staff in the moist soil once more. She heard Thomas's light step and turned to thank him with a smile. His face was painted with concern. Are you all right, Mom? They didn't get to you, did they? I'm fine, Thomas, thank you. In spite of her protestations to the contrary, her voice quavered a little and she had to lean on the staff more heavily than she might have preferred just to hold herself up. You think they'll be back, Mom? She considered it for a moment. I hope not, Thomas. I hope they'll keep riding and look for some easier pickings. She looked at him. And they will have to heal a bit before they take on too much. It's hard to swing a sword with broken fingers. Thomas grinned and reached down into the weeds at the edge of the track. He pulled up the man's dropped sword. Harder still when you don't have it, Mum. She smiled. There's that as well. They stood and listened for another moment. Deep in the forest, the cawing of a raven echoed, "'and Tanith gave silent thanks to the All-Mother "'for her protection before heading for her hut. "'She felt the need for a cup of tea "'and perhaps a short sit-down. "'Mom?' "'Thomas's voice stopped her. "'She turned to look back at him, "'leaning heavily on the staff to keep her upright. "'That was pretty fancy staff work, Mom.' "'He crossed to the hut and retrieved his arrow. "'You bash people a lot on the road?' "'A smile made the question part jest, "'but his dark eyes underscored his seriousness.' Tan aside and looked at her feet. Too often. She took a deep breath and looked him in the eye. Too many men think a woman alone is helpless. Too many see it as their right to teach her the error of her ways. When I left my husband, left my home, I made a promise to myself that he would be the last man to ever beat me. She wasn't smiling. She felt weak, slightly sick. Thomas didn't flinch from her gaze. And was he, mum? She snorted a laugh and shook her head. No, but he was the last one who got away with it. She grinned fiercely at him, pulled the staff up, and twirled it once before planting the iron-shod foot back in the sod. I've carried this staff, or one like it, for twenty winters. I've learned a thing or two about using it along the way. Thomas nodded slowly. Tanith felt like he weighed her words in a way that betrayed his depth. He nodded respectfully and offered an honest smile. In the king's own, they taught us that no farmer with a stick was unarmed. They grow up with a hoe in their hands. Tanith offered a smile of her own. And every woman in Corlay grows up with a broom in hers. She cast an appraising look at her staff. This one's just lacking the bristles. Thomas snorted a laugh of his own at that, but he wasn't done. Mom, those boyos could have killed you. They're not the first to have tried, Thomas. He looked startled. Others have tried to kill you, Mom. She shrugged. Some men don't take kindly to being told no. She sighed and regarded him lovely. I've been wandering the byways for almost half my life, Thomas. I'm careful. I look where I'm going. I don't take risks. She took a deep breath before going on. That only gets you so far. After that, it comes down to who's got the strongest will and the fastest hands. She nodded to his bow, or the keenest eye. Thomas's eyes wrinkled a bit at the corners as he smiled. I'm glad you were with us today, Mom. Thank you. She ducked her head in response. I'm glad I could help, Thomas. Thomas knuckled his brow in salute, slotted the arrow back into his quiver. I best go see how they're doing up the hill. She gave a small wave and turned toward her hut. As she walked, the tension she'd carried in her torso began to ease, and the knots in her belly began to uncoil. With that easing came a familiar sensation in her nethers, and she grimaced with a bitter snicker as she picked up her pace. She clambered down the stairs into her cottage, latching the door behind her, and pulled at the belt of her baggy trousers as she crossed to the cot, where earlier she'd arranged her supplies. She slipped a strap of her gleaning bag off her shoulder and tossed it onto the bedroll so she could deal with the first rush of her monthly courses. Blood calls to blood, eh, mother? She muttered it to herself. Long practice saw the task dealt with readily, and she was soon stirring up the coals left from her morning fire. It seemed an age since she'd slipped out to do some gathering in the early morning. There was still bread and cheese, and she nibbled a bit of each as the water warmed over the coals. Outside, she heard people beginning to move about as the families who'd sheltered at the quarry came back down to the village. The strength leached out of her legs, and she took her small pot to the table to let it steep while she settled into the rough chair. She folded her arms on the surface and lay her forehead across them, fighting the urge to sleep but losing as the aftermath of the fight washed out of her, leaving her drained and emptier than she could ever remember being. The blackness washed over her for a moment, and her eyes opened on an odd scene. Below her, four men in matching livery rode hard down the packed surface of the pike. She was looking down at them from above, and Periodically, one or the other would look behind them as if to see what might be chasing them. The horses were lathered, and soon they were obliged to rein in and let their mounts walk. They sat stiffly in their saddles, and if they spoke, she couldn't hear anything over the rushing of the wind in her ears. The one with the red lining in his coat seemed to be arguing, but the three men shook their heads until he gave up. Wheeling his tired horse angrily, he continued riding south. The three remaining men rode silently after him. It was a most amusing view, and she looked about her with interest. Now that the men were riding out of sight, she raised her eyes to the horizon and saw the earth spinning below her, felt the wind lift her suddenly skyward. She cawed in delight. Tana's eyes flew open, the cawing of a crow still echoing in her ears. Not a crow. A raven. She knew it as certainly as she was sitting at the table in her hut. She was assailed by a sudden doubt. She threw herself out of the chair and clawed the door open to look outside at the normal-looking afternoon beyond. Amber was approaching and started to raise a hand in greeting, but something in Tana's face stopped her smile half-formed, and the hand made it no higher than her waist before falling back to her side, and the younger woman increased her stride to cross the intervening space more quickly. At the door, she crouched to peer in. "'Mom, what is it? Are you all right?' Tanneth blinked herself back from the edge of madness and with a shuddering breath offered a smile back. Yes. Yes, my dear, of course. I had an odd dream. It set me off for a moment. That's all. Tenneth didn't know what to say. She was still disoriented and groggy. Amber nodded, offering a tentative smile before glancing nervously down at the road. Now if William would just come home, I'd feel much better. Tanith looked in that direction as well, but her mind was on the view from above. He'll be along, my dear. They'll have no way of knowing that he was one of ours, and he may well have been off the road gathering wood. The younger woman shrugged in a half-hearted agreement. It's one thing to know it, but another to let go of the worry. She smiled at the older woman apologetically. Tanith nodded her head in sympathy. Amber sighed and straightened. Well, I just wanted to thank you, Mom. You let us know if there's anything you need, all right? Tanith smiled up at the young woman once more. Of course, my dear. Right now, I think I want a cup of tea. Amber grinned and gave a little wave before turning back toward her own hut. Tanith left the door open for the light and returned to the teapot on the table to fortify herself with a hot cup of tea before she looked into finding something for lunch. Chapter 11 Foundations The crunch of wheels on the road drew Tanith from her hut just before sundown. She stepped out just in time to see Amber fly down the path and launch herself into William's arms. The ox stopped when William did and seemed placidly unaware of the sobbing woman. William did his best to try to figure out what was going on, and Tanith could see him looking about for clues as he tried to calm his wife enough to speak around the sobs. Tanith could hear her finally in the still quiet of the gathering dusk. I was so afraid they'd killed you. His response was a low rumble that she couldn't make out, but it sounded soothing. Frank came down the path from the barn and stopped at the bend, waiting for the homecoming to subside a bit. He saw Tanna standing in front of her hut and nodded once respectfully. When William managed to untangle himself, he clucked to the ox and started his way toward the barn, holding Amber around the waist and looking curiously from her to Frank to Tanith and back. As they approached the top of the bend, Tanith fell in and walked along behind. William spoke to Frank. Evening. Big doings while I was out? Frank gave a kind of sideways bomb to his head. There was a bit of excitement around midday. Riders came and started to make trouble. William looked at Amber, and you thought they'd found me on the road and killed me? Amber snuffled a little. We didn't know. That was the worst part. She hugged him around the waist as they walked, almost knocking him down. He raised his eyebrows at that. So you'd rather known that I was dead than just late. Caught them all funny and helped to break the tension. She reached back and slugged him on the shoulder. Don't you make fun of me, you beast. She hugged him again. You know what I mean. Frank stepped out of the path to walk alongside, and the strange parade continued on to the barn. William looked at Frank over the ox's back. Anybody hurt? Thomas's voice came out of the gathering gloom. None of us. He stepped out from behind one of the huts and fell in beside Tanith at the rear. William nodded. I can see I need to get this story in order. Let's get Bester here settled with the feed bag and see if I can find a cup of tea. You can tell me from the beginning. They walked about three more paces before the not-knowing got to him, and he turned to Thomas. Did you get into a scuffle with them? Thomas shook his head. Mother Fairport did. Tannis started to object to the honorific, but the stricken glance that William shot her over his shoulder stopped her. You... William's eyes were round in surprise, and Tana saw him measuring her anew with his eyes. She gave a little shrug. That was mostly by accident. William stared hard, not knowing if he should believe her or not. In the end, he twitched his stick against the cart's tongue and picked up the pace. Hup there, Bester. We're almost home. William refrained from asking any more questions. He backed the ox cart around to the woodshed and dumped the load into the growing pile there, ready for cutting and splitting for winter. The cart went under the shed roof, and Bester waited patiently while William released the harness and led him into the box stall at the front of the barn. With the ox fed and watered, William turned to the small audience gathered at the entry. So, what happened? Frank started telling the story. Four riders came in just about mid-morning, wanted water for their horses. The boss kept Amber busy by the house while the others tended to the watering, but they was counting noses and houses the whole while. How long they stay? About a part of an hour. Putterin' and fetchin', Long time for four horses, even allowing for Riley and me having to fetch it from the pump. He paused. About the time I figured something would break open, Mother Fairport here marches down from the quarry trail, big as you please, and plants herself next to Amber. The boss man wasn't too pleased with that, so he rounded up his boyos and they headed on down the pike. William pursed his lips and thought for a moment. Then what happened? We called the boys down from the quarry when it started looking dicey, but they got here just about the time the riders headed down the pike. Frank nodded at Amber and Tannen. These two figured they'd be back. I did too, but Jakey figured we were getting panicky over nothing. He wouldn't listen to me. Even Amber had to go, but he shrugged it off and went back up the hill. William pursed his lips and looked at his wife. They wouldn't listen to you. Amber shook her head. Now I talked to Jakey and Carl both, but they just said that there was nothing they could do and daylight was burning. They went back up to the quarry. William pondered that. Can't say as I blame him from what it might have looked like at the time. He sighed. Then what? Frank described how they'd rounded up the kids, women, and horses and taken the whole lot up to the quarry. William turned to Tanith. But you stayed behind, Mom. Tanith shrugged and rested her weight on her staff. Amber and I were the last ones up the trail. We wanted to make sure we got everybody out before they came back. We almost made it, but they came back too quickly and surprised us. Their leader started threatening and wouldn't leave us alone. One of them rushed me and he ran onto to the end of my staff. It winded him pretty good. After that, the leader was pretty mad and he sent the other two bully boys to round me up. They were almost on me when Thomas here convinced him they couldn't outrun a broadhead. Amber looked up at William. Is it over, do you think? William shrugged. You seem to have done right by this group. I don't think they'll be back to trouble us. Amber shook her head. Yeah, but are we safe? Tana spoke up from where she was standing at the back of the group. No. They turned to look at her. This bunch is gone, at least for now, but what about the next? William shook his head. We've been here for four, going on five winters now, and this is the first time we've had any problems at all. Frank grimaced and turned to William. If it hadn't been for her, it might have been the last, and we'd all be raven food. William frowned, but he listened. So what do we do about it? Thomas scuffed a foot in the packed ground. We've too much invested to move lock, stock, and barrel, but might make sense to build a cache up at the quarry. We'd have been fine if we'd all just run up there, but the stores are all here. Frank agreed. The end of the track is a logical defense point. The quarry itself is just that much further along. Anybody moving up the track would have a hard time of it. Thomas turned to Tanith. Do you have any ideas, Mum? What can we do to make the village safer? A bolt hole at the quarry is good, but... That'd take time, and it won't be long before winter's on us. She thought for a few more moments. Having a bell would be a start. She smiled at their looks of incomprehension. William frowned in consternation. Where would we get a bell way out here, Mum? Just hang a piece of iron on a rope so you can bang it. Sound would carry up to the quarry, and you wouldn't have to wait for a runner to go up and come back. Won't be pretty, but it'd be loud enough. Frank grinned. And having an alarm ringing like that would give somebody thinking of trouble something else to think about. Amber grinned and nodded her agreement. That'd be a help. William gazed at Tannis. A start, Mum. What else do you think? An inn. some place where travelers could stop and not look at the houses and get ideas. William tilted his head quizzically. An inn, Mum. With food and rented rooms? Frank perked up a bit, too. And beer? She smiled. Well, perhaps a bit of beer. She paused before adding, to those who can pay for it. William looked troubled. That's a lot of work, mum, running an inn. Start small, a common room, kitchen, hearth. Rent out space by the fire for a few coppers a night. The mother knows I've spent more than enough nights on a floor like that myself over these last twenty winters. William still didn't look convinced. How'd that help keep us safe, mum? She looked around at their faces. It makes the village look like something other than a collection of huts in a wide spot on the road. People react to that. And having a big, solid building where people can gather and defend? That's different than having a bunch of small buildings that newcomers can get the wrong idea about. Besides, she smiled, once you have an inn, then people might want to come and live here and work in it, and it'll be something that'll tide you over until spring, too, when you can't quarry. Amber added an obstacle of her own. That's well and good, Mum, but who's going to run this establishment? Nobody answered directly, but they all looked at Amber. What? She looked around uncertainly. You're not thinking that I can run an inn? Nobody answered. Are you? Tanith nodded gently. I think you'd make the perfect innkeeper, Amber. That's crazy. What do I know about running an inn? Amber shook her head in exasperation and turned. I've got hungry kids to feed. You're all welcome to come along, but this is foolish. She turned and stalked out of the barn. William looked at Tanith with an I-told-you-so look. But Frank was eyeing the older woman speculatively. What else do you think, Mom? She thought for only a heartbeat. You better name this place before somebody names it for you. William looked startled, but Frank nodded. I've been saying that for the last two winters. He turned to look at the younger man why haven't we picked a name, William? William frowned. I don't like the names people picked out for us. He said it in a low grumble. Come on, let's go get some supper. He followed Amber's path out of the barn without looking to see if anybody were following him. Tanneth watched him go with some amusement before starting to follow. As she walked out, she turned to Thomas, who had fallen in beside her. What names have they offered? Thomas smirked. Well, Clayton was one, but that's not the favorite. What's the favorite? Frank spoke from behind him. Mapleton. She looked over her shoulder. Mapleton? Named after him? Frank chuckled. Yes, am He hates the idea, but most folks here like it. He just won't stand for it. Tenneth looked at Thomas. Do they really like it because it's the right name, or are they just twitting him about having a town named for him? Thomas shrugged. Don't know, but it's been a running argument here for the last two winters. They trooped along in William's wake and took advantage of Amber's hospitality by lounging about her hearth and feasting on fresh tomatoes, hot bread, and strong cheese. William seemed lost in thought, but Amber had already apparently forgotten the conversation about being the innkeeper, even as she proved her skill at hospitality by feeding them all, along with her own kids and a couple of the other children. Sadie provided the breads, and the mood was quite festive considering the darkness that had swept across them during the day, or perhaps because of it. As the meal wound down, the extra children trundled off, and the rest curled into snug beds and were soon asleep. Conversation lagged for a bit before Sadie, bird bright and looking for an answer, moved on to the next subject. So what's this about an inn, then? She looked back and forth between William and Tanith, waiting for an explanation, but it was Frank who spoke up. We were talking about ways to cut down the risk of unpleasantness like today. Mother Fairport here says she thinks we ought to have an inn. Sadie looked at Tanith with a wide-eyed smile. That's a wonderful idea, Mum. Why do you think it'll keep us safe? Tanith shrugged. It's harder to ignore an inn, but also if the place has an inn, then it's harder to figure nobody'll notice if you get up to mischief. She indicated the houses around with a nod of her head. This village is like any of a hundred others in wide spots up and down the road. Easy to think nobody'll notice if there's trouble, and you'd probably be right. Sadie turned to William and Amber. You don't like the idea, Amber. They want me to be the innkeeper. Amber sounded aghast by the idea. Sadie shrugged unfazed. That sounds about right. You do all the greeting at the dooryard now. Might as well have an inn to go with it. And what do you think of this, William? He shrugged. I think she's got the right of it. We'll be safer if we're bigger, and having an inn would at least make us look bigger. Sadie looked at Thomas and Frank. And what about you two? Thomas shrugged. I think it's a good idea. Frank nodded. I think so, too. Might get more people to come live here. it will give us a bit of an income that's not dependent on clay. Okay, so what's the problem? She looked pointedly at William. He saw her looking from the corner of his eye, but didn't look up from the bowl in front of him. It'll take time and money we don't have. Frank spoke up. That might if you're thinking about something like one of the inns in Overton, Will, but you've seen the inn at Mossport, and I know you've traveled enough to have slept on taproom floors yourself. He gave a grudging nod. True, and we could probably build something better than that poor excuse for an inn at Mossport. But where do we get the materials and labor? Frank shook his head. That's the least of our problems. We've got enough good timber right here to build another building as big as a barn without clearing more than we'd need for next spring's garden as it is. William sighed. We really need a smith out here if we're going to do this. Thomas cast a disgusted look at him. Now you're just finding rocks on the sand. We don't need a smith. We need a barrel of nails and some hinges for another door or two. William shrugged. If we could make them, it would be better. Frank snorted. Better, but not needed. And we'll have Jakey's crew laying about until spring in another few weeks. We only have one more trip this season, and then we won't quarry any more until spring. That's still plenty of time to settle a frame and put up a roof. Once that's in place, we can work on it even after snow flies, if need be. But I bet we'll have it done before the solstice. What about the kill? We're going to build a kill this winter so we can start firing our own bricks. William looked around the table, the challenge on his face. Amber cleared her throat delicately, and all eyes turned to her. I've been thinking about that. William cocked his head. Really? It was an interesting idea, but you've seen the brickworks outside of Overton. William shrugged. Yes, of course, that's what gave me the idea. She looked at him seriously. And do you want to live beside that? Frank shifted his weight uncomfortably, and even Thomas looked place but at William and Amber. Finally, William sighed and answered softly, No. She shrugged. So? We don't build a kill. We keep shipping the clay to Overton? It's steady work and gets us a bit of coin to spend with the merchants there for what we can't make for ourselves, but this inn, she shrugged again, might make more sense for where we are. They looked at each other for a long moment before William grinned. And you'd be the innkeeper. She sighed and her shoulders slumped. If that's what it takes. But what do we call it? Sadie piped up. We could just name it after the village. That's what everybody else does. Frank twisted his mouth into a wry grin. So what do we name the town? They all turned to Tanith, and she looked startled. You want me to name it? Frank grinned. Well, you're doing pretty well so far. They were all smiling at her, encouraging her. She took a deep breath and closed her eyes to think. In the quiet, she could hear the crackling of the fire, the faint sound of wind through the eaves. Ravenwood. The word was out of her mouth before she thought. Frank pounced on it. Ravenwood. I like it. She looked at them with something akin to shock. I'm sorry. It was just the first thing that came to mind. William was nodding, and Amber's face was painted with a considering look. Sadie clapped her hands together with delight and sprang to her feet. It's perfect. We'll name the town Ravenwood, and then the inn can be Ravenwood Inn. She fairly bounced on her toes in excitement. William watched her with some amusement. Well, I guess now we live in Ravenwood. He looked at Tanith. At least it's not Mapleton. Amber laughed. That really bothered you, didn't it? He nodded, a rueful grimace on his face. Frank chuckled, but offered Tanith a sympathetic explanation. When you've grown up in the shadow of his father, the name carries extra freight. Thomas groaned at the pun and tossed a bit of bread at the older man. The nearly full moon painted an oblong of silver on the floor through the open doorway, and William eyed the glow. He heaved himself up off the floor and handed his wife up as well. "'Well, let's go figure out where we'll build your inn.' They all clambered out of the house. William, with amber on his arm, led the procession, which soon picked up a few more adults, a handful of interested children, and at least two drowsy chickens.' They spent an hour in pleasant contemplation by the light of the moon and discovered that they had more than enough room for a relatively large structure that would neither block the track to the barn nor require them to demolish any of the houses. Tanneth observed the proceedings from the front of her hut and watched the sky for ravens. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport Adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com.